What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 71 of Adult Education. Joining me today is Dr. Anna Lemke, and we're discussing dopamine and our endless search for pleasure. Thanks for checking out Adult Education this week. My name is Jeff St. Pierre. I appreciate you sharing some of your day with me. This is the first episode of 2022, and I'm really excited about it. I was hoping to have this one ready for you last week to really kick off the new year in a big way, but some things came up in my life. Uh, Unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to one of our dogs due to health issues. That situation kind of took over my life and my family's life in the last few weeks. Still sort of struggling with him not being here. Normally, while I'm recording these things, he's sitting on my feet under the desk. So that's a little weird for me, but I'm working on it and we're taking it day by day. But I'm not here to bum you out today. In fact, this week, I want to try to do the opposite. Joining me this week is Dr. Anna Lemke. We're going to be talking about dopamine and her new book, Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. If you're not familiar with dopamine, it's a neurotransmitter produced by our body, and it plays a huge role in how we feel pleasure. You know, when you do something that you like, your body will produce dopamine and make you feel really good about it. However, technology and other things have put us in kind of a weird position where we're sort of in a dopamine overload. As an example, I'm sure you've all heard about the problems with social media and how it makes us feel terrible. Dopamine plays a big part in that. The social media apps like Instagram are designed to give us those quick hits of dopamine as we see things that we like while we're scrolling. But the crash afterwards is intense and it can lead to depression. Dr. Lemke discusses how the constant pursuit of pleasure can actually bring us more pain. Now, before we jump into this conversation, some people ask me how they can support the show, and I always say the best way is to leave a rating on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you got a second to write a quick review, that also really helps with the podcast algorithms, so this show will get suggested to new listeners. So if you can do that, leave a rating and review, that is huge. And don't forget, you can find us on Instagram at Adult Education Podcast. Hi there. Hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, great. I do have a microphone and headphones, but if this works, then let's just go with this. No, this is great. It's so uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. It's a pleasure to speak with you too. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh my gosh, of course. When the book first came out, I was actually a little heartbroken that I wasn't able to schedule a time on the initial radio tour. So I was so glad when you came back around for a second round. (laughs) Well, thank you. That's very nice. Um, I'm glad to be here. Well, it's a fascinating subject. Uh, The book is called Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And I I think that is such an apt title to the world that we live in right now. It's it's one of those things that when I read it, I thought that completely describes what we're in the middle of right now. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. Um, I was I was trying to describe it. It certainly is a is a crazy environment that we're having to survive. And the, the central aspect that I try to get at in Dopamine Nation is just this incredible world of overabundance. We're surrounded by these highly reinforcing drugs and behaviors, making you know modern life stressful in unprecedented ways. You, you every once in a while hear someone compare you know, what we're going through now to say the Roman empire. And you think it's only, you know, too much is a bad thing and things are going to collapse. But when you do think about how much technology changes we've made over the last, just even the last decade alone, we are at a place where we have hit something that no one has ever hit before. And you got to imagine there's going to be a break somewhere. And unfortunately, I think the break is going to come within us. (laughs) 
That's right. That's right. No, I really do think that this is an unprecedented moment in human history because of this overwhelming abundance, because of the way that technology has increased access, quantity, potency, novelty, making almost everything we do potentially addictive. And, you know, I really like this concept of the Anthropocene, which describes the first era in human history where human action has changed the environment, oftentimes global warming is used as the example of that. But I do think this dopamine nation, this dopamine saturated environment is another example of the Anthropocene and the way that human activity has now, you know, we're at a tipping point in terms of our ecosystem and we're going to have to figure out, you know, how to navigate it. Oh, 100 percent. You know, there's a I forget which comedian, but I heard someone making a joke about how cell phones and the internet, we've cured boredom. You know, no longer do you have a moment in your day where you're bored. I mean, even going to the bathroom, you bring your phone with you and you play a game or you look at Instagram and, and that's a constant dopamine rush that you're getting from everything that you're doing. And it almost makes me wonder, boredom was probably really good for us. <laughs> right, I know. I, I, remember, I remember asking my mom so many times, you know, what can we do, what can we do? And she would say, what to do, what to do, put some mustard in your shoe, which was incredibly annoying. But like, you know, at least we asked the question and at least she had a stock response. Now parents are like, get off your phone, get off your phone, get off your phone. So, and the crazy thing about, you know, the way that we're constantly distracting ourselves to alleviate boring is how quickly we become bored online, you know, which really does speak to the ways that our brain quickly adapts to any reinforcing drug or behavior such that with repeated use, it's less reinforcing, it's less interesting. We need more potent forms to get the same effect. And that is really what drives the path to addiction. I'm probably a middle of the road you know, Instagram user. I, I use it more than some, but a lot less than others. Uh, but even myself, as I'm scrolling through, because I'm killing some time, you know, I'll, I'll look at a picture and it's funny that the way you just worded that, because I'll look at a picture and I go, that picture bores me. I'm not interested. Scroll to the next one. You know, and, and it's funny because I'm instantly curing that sensation of that's boring, something else, give me something new, right. keep it going. And, and I don't, I don't think if most people understand that that's what's really going on when they're rolling through photos. That's right. And one thing that people really miss, which is, you know, one of my major messages is that the more time we spend online in this drugified metaverse, the less interested we are in our real lives. And at the same time, because we're spending so much time online, the less interesting our real lives objectively are becoming because we're not spending any time investing in them. So when people come to me and they say, I haven't discovered my passion or I'm, I'm so angry, you know, I'm so depressed or, you know, I need a new husband. The I really challenge that perception because that could really be all the result of too much dopamine and the ways in which as our brains become addicted, we lose interest in everything else and really narrow our focus to this one activity, which is highly drugified and reinforcing which is why I recommend to patients who can't find their passion or unhappy with their lives or anxious and depressed. I say, why don't we first cut out, you know, these reinforcing drugs and behaviors for one month and see how you're feeling after that? Because the majority of folks who are willing to do that experiment with me will come back a month later and feel so much better, more interested in their lives, more interested in the people around them, more interested in their jobs, in their classes, feeling renewed, you know, compassion and passion for the things that they do, 
which again really speaks to the ways in which these drugified behaviors, especially online, hijack our reward pathways, making other things less interesting. This might be a stupid question. No, there are no stupid questions. <laughs> I don't know. You haven't heard it yet. Um, <laughs> is there a difference between, I, I, you only really have one type of dopamine, right? I mean, so th there's no difference between types of dopamine, but is there a difference between the way that we get it? So uh, my, I guess my question is like, if I'm using Instagram, that's one way for the body to release dopamine because I'm giving it this, this drug, if you will. But say I'm also an avid reader and I pick up a book, the reading the book would also give me some sort of dopamine, right? I mean, when, so is there a difference? Does my brain know the difference between the two different things? Yeah, it does. Uh, let me first say that people's brains are slightly different. So intoxicants are intoxicating to most people, but people have different drugs of choice. So whereas your drug of choice, just as a guess, or just as an example, might be Instagram, my drug of choice might be romance novels, which is exactly what I talk about in yeah. a book, how I got addicted Vampire to Vampire romance. romance novels, by the right, way. Right, right, right. <laughs> the Twilight Saga was my gateway drug. Anyway, um, so there is that fundamental difference. But I think another thing that you're getting at is, you know, is there something about um, working for our dopamine, having to do work for our dopamine versus getting it just through the drug instantly? that registers in our brain? And the answer is yes. So if we imbibe a substance or engage in a behavior that instantly releases dopamine, that very much works as an addictive substance or behavior because it, it just immediately released it. We didn't have to work for it. And by the way, our primitive brains were not evolved for that, right? We were evolved to have to traverse tens of kilometers to get like a little thimble full of water, a couple of berries, and maybe, you know, a scrawny rabbit to eat or something, right? So, so when we get that huge influx of dopamine with no work, our brains are really reeling in response and quickly downregulate production of dopamine, you know, involute dopamine receptors and go below baseline because they're saying, oh my gosh, fire hose of dopamine, I gotta adjust for that. Whereas if we get our dopamine indirectly by having to work for it, like for example, read something that's actually difficult to read, not what I was reading, not the candy romance novels I was reading, that was, which was essentially equivalent to watching a show. Right. Um, you know, but if it's actually labor intensive to get the dopamine, then that's a much better way because then what you're essentially doing is tipping on the, you know, stepping on the pain side of the belt, having to work for your dopamine and having to delay your gratification. And that, that way of getting dopamine is less likely to develop tolerance um, than, than the instant gratification. You also discuss pain in the book too. And it's, um, I just finished watching that show Dope Sick on Hulu and uh, the documentary Crime of the Century on HBO where they talk about Oxycontin. And it's fascinating to me that obviously humans have had pain in their lives. You know, you break arms, you do whatever. But it wasn't really until sort of the early to mid-90s where pain became a symptom, where it became something that we were we were treating pain. And then it kind of snowballed. And, it, and it, it's interesting to think about from a dopamine standpoint because that's essentially what a lot of these drugs do, right? I mean, what what's they, they just really power that dopamine into you to make you sort of forget about it. But then when it comes back, it feels even worse. 
Right, exactly. So, you know, opioid is um, a highly reinforcing and addictive drug. It works, you know, all drugs work in different ways, but the final common pathway of all addictive substances and behaviors is to release dopamine in the brain's reward pathway. Opioids do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, well, what's happened, what's evolved in, in lockstep with the increased supply of opioids in our environment, starting with through prescription increased prescription opioid uh, drugs is that we've evolved this narrative where pain is now its own disease. Like yeah. before pain was a symptom of a nociceptive injury or a disease state, but now, um, you know, there's a whole different class of pain disorders that don't have any um, objective evidence of disease or injury at all. Cause they originate in the brain. Essentially there are these centralizing pain disorders and opioids, when used long-term to treat pain, can actually make pain worse because the brain adapts over time. You need more and more to get the same effect. Meanwhile, your dopamine sources are being driven down because you're telling the, the body, hey, don't make any more dopamine. I got all these opioids coming in. And then people can actually um, have worse pain. And that's a phenomenon that's been now described as opioid-induced hyperalgesia that taking opioids chronically for long periods of time, especially at high doses to treat pain can paradoxically make pain worse through this process of neuroadaptation. It's so fascinating and maddening at the same time that something that can really be beneficial in a, you know, to someone that really, really needs it can also be so horrible for you at the same time. Like, it just seems like such a, like what a weird you know way to look at that. Yes, it is. And, and it's just, it, it makes you feel like you can't really trust your brain because you can't. <laughs> you know, those things that feel really good and right in the moment, um, in the long run, may, may actually be bad for you. And that's the tricky part. And that's, again, gets to this idea of uh, sort of a, a mismatch between our primitive wiring and the kinds of drugs that modern technology has allowed us access to. You start your book out uh, talking about a patient that had sex addiction and, uh, yeah. and, and masturbation was a big key of that. And it went through so many different levels. I wonder in your research, because this is something I've thought about so when I was in high school, we didn't have, you know, broadband internet. We had dial up. And, you know, if we wanted to be typical 15 year old males, we had to wait for the image to show up through our dial up and then hope the printer would print it before our parents, our friend's parents got home or whatever. But now there's instant access. I mean, in the time that I just made that statement, I could have 50 videos up on my phone if I wanted to. Right. I, I wonder in your research, gener the, the younger generation, are you finding are you finding a major difference in the way that they see sex and they see love because of the access they have to things like this? Oh, huge difference. I mean, the silent scourge of compulsive masturbation and pornography addiction among young people today is really, really devastating. There are so many people struggling with this problem, struggling in secret, in isolation and shame. Because even though addiction broadly is stigmatized, sex addiction is really, really stigmatized. And, and I feel like some people don't even really believe it's a thing because they're like, oh, you like sex, big deal. You know, like, it, right. but, but it's a it's a real thing. Oh, it is. It absolutely is. People develop tolerance. They need more and more potent forms over time to get the same effect. Then they're watching really deviant forms of pornography, engaging in high-risk behaviors. When they're not using, they feel depressed and anxious and shameful. Um, and eventually, you know, people can get to where they're they're actually suicidal. And I've had patients like that. It's very, very tragic. So this idea that it's just a lifestyle choice or, you know, it's just, you know, a healthy expression of a healthy libido 
You know, probably not. And in, in some cases, definitely not. Um, so, I, and I just really, I mean, I, I've had so many young people reach out to me and come to the clinic and just say, this is a, such a huge problem for me. It interferes with so many aspects, aspects of my, my life, including my ability to make meaningful, sure. intimate connections in real life, right? Um, because in a way, people feel also very infantilized and regressed. And they don't feel grown up. And they're incredibly afraid to go out there and meet real people in real life. And, and so it's just so devastating. But fortunately, I feel like Dopamine Nation has, has helped to raise awareness around sex addiction and pornography addiction and to let people know that there is help out there and, and to motivate people to do something about it and that they can feel better. Well, Dr. Anna Lemke, I appreciate this book so much. I wish I could talk to you all afternoon, but you got a busy day ahead of you. Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. Is there a place people can go to find out more about you or about the book? Well, I'm not on social media, but there Smart. is a website for the book. <laughs> uh, I, I Just because I know I couldn't handle it. I'm too compulsive. Anyway, dopamination.com or, or people can get the book wherever books are sold. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. This book is fantastic. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much to Dr. Anna Lemke for joining me today. Seriously, I wish I had like six hours to talk with her about this, but our time was pretty short. I would highly recommend her book. It's called Dopamine Nation, Finding Balance in the Age of Indulgence. And thank you to all of you for spending some time with me here today. I hope your new year is off to a good start so far and that you're all healthy. Until next time, be well.